What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca. So you know what that means. We have ditched the couch. We're grabbing the mics. We are breaking down all the wreckage on today's episode of Unpolished Therapy. DB, what's good? Good morning. We are post-hurricane and we are on the other side. And all I can say is thank goodness that we were spared and our hearts go out to all the people on the West Coast who have really had a rough week this past week. They have. I'm definitely not someone that you want to use as your ice in case of emergency or call (laughs) me whatever, because I didn't even know that we were having tornadoes. Literally like practically around the corner from where we all live. And Literally. the listeners out there were West Boca, Delray Beach, etc. And area right around here was kind of clocked with the tornadoes. And various people in my world had asked me the next morning, oh my God, were you shooken up when those 5 a.m. alarms were going on on the phone and those Amber Alerts and whatnot? And I was like, huh, what? (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. So thank God that we are all okay. But my point is, I probably shouldn't be your in case of emergency because (laughs) clearly I sleep right through the emergency is... (laughs) Well, fortunately, you are not my eyes. But I have to tell you, I had a scary experience with that same tornado. I was picking up my son and two friends on 441, which is right by our house, basically. And I was only going a couple miles up the street. And the Amber Alert scary noise comes on that there's a tornado. And it was clearly evident that there was a tornado close by because it was the scariest three-mile drive I've ever made in my entire life. The wind was coming. The rain was coming in different directions. It was like, we've all been through Florida storms. If you've ever come down here to visit you and you've been through a Florida storm, you can't see in front of you. This was, I'm telling you, the likes of which I've never seen before. I was scared to pieces as I was driving. My friend calls me up, one of the moms of the kids I'm going to get. And she's like, if you haven't left yet, don't leave. There's a tornado warning. And I said, I'm you know, on 441, like I'm already halfway there. She goes, Lori, it's on Glades Road. And I said, oh my goodness. Lo and behold, when I get those three miles, which were, like I said, the scariest three miles of my life, I get the boys in the car. It was so unpolished of me. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Don't say a word. This is the scariest three minutes of my entire life or three miles, whatever it was. Just don't get on your phones. Don't talk to me and just put on your seatbelts. And literally we drive out of the gatehouse. There's no rain. There's no what, like nothing, no wind, no nothing. It was just calm and quiet. And I was like, Am I psychotic? The heavens were opening and now it's nothing. Yeah, Fine. But here's the thing that I just don't understand. The (laughs) fact that you yelled at everyone to get in the car, knowing what you just drove through, and then you were about to drive back in it, unbeknownst to you that it had stopped. I don't know (laughs) that I think that that... I mean, maybe you are psychotic because what were you thinking? So really what I was thinking was as I was pulling into the neighborhood, the rain was stopping right? So it was slowly slowing down. And I was going to take the boy that they were hanging out with that lived in there. I was just going to drive to the mom's house, unbeknownst to the mom. So if she's listening, I was going to come to your house. But I was like, well, it's starting to slow down a little bit. I didn't really understand that it was like the tornado was imminently right there. I thought maybe this was like a feeder band type of situation. And so you have like a couple of minutes where there's no rate. I'm not a fucking weatherman. Okay. I don't know. We're not calling you Steve Weagle. No, I'm not Steve Weagle. Let him keep his job. He does a great job at it. All I know is we get on the main road. There's no wind. There's no rain. And the boys are like, What's so bad about this? This is what you're talking about? What a big, no big fucking deal this is. I'm like, shut the fuck up. And we get home. And 30 minutes later, I see, holy shit, what happened in the senior living area? It's not the senior living, but it's mostly over 55 at King's Point and the destruction. And I was like, that's it. That's what I was driving parallel to. I felt less crazy at least. Okay. And I think we've all probably had those moments where you've been white knuckling it for whatever the scenario is. If you're up north and you're in a big snowstorm or a rainstorm down here, I certainly had my share where I've kind of spun the car out and I'm now driving in the opposite direction. And thank God I'm here to still talk about it. But in those moments, your life flashes or when you do watch the news thereafter and you see just complete devastation, trauma, 
destruction. No one has anything. Everyone's in 18 feet of water and they're trying to rescue their dogs and whatnot. I I know on a podcast probably about a year or so ago, we were talking, not in this realm, but like if there was a fire, let's say, and Mm -hmm. there was like one thing you could run back in and get. And, you know, you think about those type of things when you see mother nature in its rawest form. I always think, again, we're unpolished here. So let's just put it in perspective. Our hearts do ache for the people who truly have lost everything. But on the unpolished piece of the fact that we're trying to keep it light, I sometimes think about like, where's all my stuff? And like those (laughs) shoes I just bought and (laughs) oh my God, and the jewelry that my grandmother gave me and like Uh clawing at it all and like, where are all my documents and my passport if I ever get out of here again? And you don't really see that on television. Like someone like carrying their valise. I mean, that's like such an homage (laughs) to my grandma, you know, (laughs) with like my things and my stuff and those documents. We need to know where that stuff is in case of emergency. Absolutely. I have a funny story about that in that I was going away for my birthday and I had been so careful to take all of my stuff a couple of years ago and put them in a box during a hurricane and I gave them to my husband. We're getting ready to go to the Bahamas and I can't find my passport anywhere. I did such a good job of putting it in a safe place that we forgot where it was and we couldn't go to the fucking Bahamas. So I was very devastated about that. But it does speak to not only having the preparation of it in the pack, in your valise, as you say, right? But having the documents actually prepared. And that is something that I feel so strongly about after having been through you know, a million different things in my life that I just feel like we have to be prepared for these worst case scenarios. I'm not a doomsdayer, but I do believe that there is a reality that especially once we have children or we get married, all of those times, at least in my opinion, are times that we should take stock of where we're at and make sure that we've protected ourselves, protected our elders, our youngers, our ciders, whatever people that we want to do. And because of that, I took it upon myself to find somebody in the community that I felt would help guide us on what's really some of the things that we should be considering, not necessarily from a home insurance policy, but more like, God forbid, me and my husband are in a car together and something were to happen. I mean, literally, God forbid a million times, but I have two children. Like, Do we have our will? Do we know who's getting them? Do we have our estates in order and all of that stuff? And so often as a therapist, I am talking to people and they don't have any of this in place. And so I did reach out to a friend of mine in the community who can actually help us today start to understand this. And so if I may, Rach, I would like to introduce my friend, Mark, and if I could take a little bit of this podcast to have a discussion for us to all kind of ask the questions that we want the answers to. Is that okay? I would love it. I would love it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I would like to introduce to our listeners, attorney Mark Gottlieb. Mark graduated from Yeshiva University, receiving a BA in economics. He received his JD from Toro Law Center in New York as well as an LLM. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really smart. In international law from the University of Miami School of Law, attorney Gottlieb is admitted to the Florida Bar and is a member of the Real Property and Probate Section of the Florida Bar. He's also a member of the international organization, STEP, STEP, the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners. He was designated as a super lawyer rising star in 2017, 2018, and 2021. The unpolished part of me wants to know what happened those other years, but we can discuss that later. He has also been listed as the top lawyer in 2022 in the September 2022 issue of the Boca Observer. He sits on numerous boards within the the Boca community, including the Levis JCC in Boca Raton as the co-chair of the Special Needs Department and the Anti-Defamation League in Florida, and currently is the chair of the Fifth Judicial Circuit Grievance Committee C of the Florida Bar. That sounds really scary. I don't like grievances. And the judicial circuit just scares me, but we don't have to go into that. All that means is you are smarty and you know what we're talking about. So welcome, Mark, and thank you for being here. Thank you, ladies, and good morning. All that means is that I have a lot of debt on my books because I went to a lot of schooling. That's what that means. And if you could see my office, this is a wall of debt that I show my clients. Thank you for having me. Just as a very brief disclaimer, because that's what attorneys do. We CYA. Whatever I discussed today, I'm, I'm only barred in Florida, although I went to school up in New York. I grew up in Hollywood and 
like a good boy, moved back home. And so most of whatever I talk about will be general concepts on estate planning and probate, but every state's specific. And so don't take this as the gospel, for lack of a better term. Mark, thank you so much for being here. And yes, as all good attorneys do and good boys who move back home, I love that you're already covering your ass right out of the gate. So thank you. But something real quick that I want to say to you, Dr. Boca, when you were reading so beautifully Mark's very impressive bio, I was chuckling to myself because you said that he sits on the board at the Levis JCC. Levis. Levis. Okay, see, I'm even getting that. But this entire time, in all the years that I've lived in Boca, I thought it was Levi's. <laughs> okay. So I'm it's learning Levis. something every day. Today, I guess we are learning about estate planning and all the unpolishedness that goes into that. But now I've learned that the JCC that my kids went to when they were from zero years old, I've been saying wrong because I guess I'm just thinking about fashion 24-7 and I thought it was Levi's. <laughs> of course you were. And by the way, a lot of people do that, but it is Levis and Mark is a board member there. We thank you for all the contributions that you make to our community, Mark. And we have so many questions for you. And I know that knowing Rachel, she probably has a shit ton more than I do because she always has some great questions. So Rach, I'll turn it over to you to ask the first one because I've picked Mark's brain many, many times, but I'll help you out today too. Okay. Yeah. And well, listen, I this is sort of right up my alley for a multitude of reasons. One, because it kind of makes me pretend that, you know, since I don't have a lot of letters after my name, it kind of just throws me back to the days when I worked at a big financial institution and I did a lot of work with trust and things of that nature. And I was always reviewing documents. And I guess I thought that I was smarter than I really am. So this is kind of a throwback to me from my quote unquote working days. But Mark, so let me just ask right out of the gate, why this type of law of all the subsets, if you will, why did you choose estate planning? Great question, Rachel. Twofold. One, if you know me, I am not a litigious type of person. I hate arguing And so estate planning is a much more mellow practice of law. You're really helping people and guiding them, drafting documents. And I always joke, no offense to Dr. Boca, but I always say 90% of my job is therapy and guiding people. The other 10% is just putting pen to paper and legal. So that's one. And two, my father's actually an estate planning attorney in Florida as well. So I would assume he had something to do with it along the way. Yeah. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? Absolutely. And Mark, what you're saying is so true. There's such a tie to, I believe, at least in my opinion, what you do, financial planning, and what I do. I believe that there's so much emotion tied to money and how money was discussed and looked at in people's growing up years and intergenerationally. And when we can work in conjunction with professionals like you and professionals like financial planners and kind of put pen to paper, I could do without your legalese, but I understand that for some reason, you all have to feel like you can write in a language that none of us could understand and it sounds so good. But working all together and having a plan for people, whether it's for the finances, whether it's for the estate, whether it's for their children and subsequent generations, it just works better when people can process that experience and we can do it in tandem. So I thank you very much for the work that you do do. My pleasure. And also I get paid for it. So that also (laughs) helps. It does help, doesn't it? There you go. Mark, let's jump in with a question that we always say on this podcast. If if I have the question or if Dr. Boca has the question, chances are we're not the only two people out there and and it's, it's more of a broad band of a question. So I always like to say like when I do my estate planning, it's more like shtetl planning, right? (laughs) I mean, in my little humble abode planning. But again, I don't want to sound naive. I have a couple little things that potentially if something were to happen to me, I'd like to make sure my kids are taken care of. But do you think it is a misconception out there that it's not just for the rich and famous who should be planning ahead? Absolutely. So a few things I always tell people, depending on the audience that I have, I always say, One, I think the word estate planning is a huge misconception. And people think trust versus versus no trust. And they hear all these terms. And I always say, just because you may not have Donald Trump money or Donald Trump debt, depending on what side of the aisle you're coming from, that doesn't mean that you don't need certain things in place. A lot of it depends on what you have, who your beneficiaries may be, because that really dictates the the plan that we're going to suggest to the client. Right. 
and I'll break it down the way that I've broken it down for a 10 year old, a friend of mine, actually people that the two of you both know, I was sitting waiting for my daughter to finish a program at the JCC and they were waiting for their child to be done. And we were sitting across from each other and the mom says, Oh, this is Mark. He's friends with dad. And the girl who was 10 or 12 at 10 or 11 at the time says, Oh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an estate planning attorney. Well, what does that mean? And I'm like, huh, how do I explain estate planning to an 11 year old? So I said, Oh, I see you have an iPad. She was playing on her iPad. And I said, okay, well, I see you have an iPad. I assume that maybe grandma and grandpa have given you money over time. I assume that maybe you have some some dolls or toys at your house and things in your room. I said, if God forbid something happened to you, right? And you died to be somewhat morbid, but that's the world I live in. <laughs> oh, wait, we're right? still talking to an 11-year-old here, right, Mark? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, yeah, they're going to be... Listen. Just in case you got mutilated by Jeffrey Dahmer, (laughs) they're going to be on. Wait, wait, Mark, they're going to wind up on my couch. Watch what you say, okay? (laughs) What's good for the goose is good for the gander, like you said. So I'm trying to help you here. So basically, what I said to her was all this stuff that you have, if you were to not be here, who would you want to get your stuff? And she was very sweet and very nice. And she said, I would want my brother. She, her brother happens to have disabilities, as does my daughter. I have twins that are seven, and my daughter has special needs. So I said, that's very sweet of you. And so what I do is I would put pen to paper, or in modern day, I would type up a document that says, if I'm not here on this earth, I want all of my stuff, whether it's your toys, your iPad, your money, your house, whatever you may have, I would put together a piece of paper saying, I wanted to go to your brother. And so the mother turned to me and was like, wow, you just explained estate planning to an 11-year-old. I'm like, but at its very base, that is what we do, right? So I loved that explanation. And I don't know if anybody else, any of our listeners can understand or relate to this, but I sometimes struggle when something happens to me, whether it's on my body, like if I have a, I don't know, a rash, right? And it's on my head. Do I go to the dermatologist? Do I go to a neurologist because it's on my head? Or, you know, it's a bad example, but I don't never know which doctor to go to, right? So I run this problem with the attorneys also. I need some clarification, Mark, and therefore I'm hoping that our listeners will as well as to, okay, like, are you the attorney that does wills? Are you the attorney that does prenups? What exactly do you do and what don't you do? And where would we go for that information? And then also, can you, because this is something I don't ever understand, is what are the things that we should, I'm going to say at our age, but in this, you know, with two kids or three kids or a husband, wife, single, whatever, But what are the kinds of things we should be protecting ourselves with right now? Great double question. I got to remember them. I'm getting old. (laughs) It's okay. So the first part of the question is, what kind of doctor am I, right? Because I'm a jurist doctor. So what kind of doctor am I from a legal perspective? So from the legal perspective, I put together things such as a will, a document that says, where do my things go? If someone is talking about a trust, I prepare those types of documents. I prepare powers of attorney, healthcare surrogate, and healthcare directives. Basically, documents that will dictate who gets what if you die and who can make financial decisions and medical decisions on your behalf should something happen to you with a caveat, right? So what I always tell clients after they signed on with me is if you have questions that don't pertain to what I do, if you have a legal question, you can ask me. If I'm not the right person, I will get you in front of the right person. So for example, like you said, if it's a prenup situation, I work within the confines of someone's prenup. That doesn't mean that I draft a prenup. That's a divorce attorney or a marital law attorney. I work with many in, in Boca and in South Florida, but I don't draft those types of documents myself. Okay. Okay. So in the example that you just gave, the differentiation between writing up a prenup and what you do, let's say Rachel decides to get remarried. Let's say her shtetl has accumulated greatly and she wants to put together a prenup so that her children are taken care of. Is it therefore important for the divorce attorney, I guess, who has to put together the prenup, would it be important to have you and that attorney working in conjunction with each other because you're the person who would be putting together other elements of yes. that I, I'm not. I, again, I don't even have any letters after my name. And I'm going to say, I would imagine yes. 
Right, Mark? Absolutely. I would take it one step further. Never mind attorney-wise on a prenup level, even just dealing with clients and their CPAs, Mm -hmm. their financial Mm -hmm. advisors. So just to clarify, that same 11-year-old, right? Her father's a financial advisor. So her actually was very logical. Her question was, well, why is that different than what my dad does? Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, your dad takes your stuff. Let's say you had $100. He takes it and makes it $1,000. He grows your assets over time. What I do is I make sure whatever you have at the end of time goes to who you want. So that's the difference. And I'm just going to jump in to say back from, again, in my yesteryears when I worked at Morgan Stanley for you know a lifetime ago, and even now I would imagine nothing's changed to your point, Mark, that all these professionals do work together, that mm-hmm. in order for this big... And again, I don't know who it was a zillion years ago when they put in the Webster Dictionary the word estate planning. I know we're saying estate, it just seems so grandiose, but Mm -hmm. maybe it is estate planning for the reason that there are so many different facets and the wheel of the machine that all works together. So these professionals are part of your estate and you plan together and you have all these people in your wheelhouse. The same way, Lori, you and I have discussed that your area of expertise in therapy is A, let's say, but Mm -hmm. that if you have a patient or a client that comes in and there's a specific situation or scenario, you now have to air judgment to a professional colleague who zeroes in on that one particular situation, if you will. Sure. As basic of a question as it appears, right? The reason that you ask is because you're very seldom in a room with more than one person, right? You're like, you're going to Mark, you're sitting down, and then he starts to ask a question and you're like, oh shit, I need to call my financial planner. And in a perfect world, in my head, I would love all of you sitting in a room together to do that. And because I'm sitting here and no disrespect to you because my patients do this to me, I'm like, Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. How much is this costing when I have to go from Mark to the financial planner, to the this person, to another attorney, to this? And so you kind of are like, why can't there be like a one-stop shop? And then you get stuck at these big law firms where they're, you know, $200,000 a minute. So I appreciate you kind of clearing the way for people who have those questions so that they know what information they need to get and to be prepared for when they come meet you. By the way, I think part of the process, at least when a client comes to me, I always try to have some sort of intake form as basic as it is so that when we're sitting there, we can go through those questions. And as an estate attorney doing it for as long as I have, 15 plus years, whatever it is, I've seen a lot of shit and I kind of know where things may or may not go. I know how second marriages work and the complications with that. I have clients that are still married, but have longtime girlfriends and they just don't want to get divorced because for whatever reason, they're on, they're benefiting in some other way from their spouses, whatever. And so that's another thing. And I did want just briefly to get back to your initial, your second question, Mm -hmm. which was who is good for an estate plan? And I hate to say this general term of everyone, but I have clients that are completely single, no kids, but they have assets. So let's just take very simply what happens when we die. This is not a philosophical discussion. This is or a religious discussion for that purpose, what happens to our stuff? If we don't have anything in place, no will, right? We're bare, right? And something happens, then the Florida statutes in Florida or your state statutes would dictate who gets what when you die. And it becomes somewhat complicated when you come from blended families, you have kids from another family, you have minor children, you have spousal rights. And unless those are waived by some sort of prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement, it can get really hairy. So the my threshold is twofold. One, certainly the obvious is when you have kids, you want to have at the very least some sort of guardianship language in your will. Who's going to get my babies if something happens to them? That's right. a perfect draw for parents or for moms who typically will draw the husband, right? We're right. too busy. That's one. And two, it's really a function of what do you have? What assets? And it could just be a house. But you may not want it to go by whatever the statute's going to say. So if that's the case, you do some sort of plan for that. And the third thing that I will mention, I'll I'll stop after this, the will takes place at death, okay? 
the other documents that we talk about are the power of attorney and healthcare documents. And I think this really ties into what happened with the hurricane recently. And again, my sentiments to the people, one of my paralegals actually lives out in Venice, Florida. I've been texting with him and he's fine. But I mean, he said the, the destruction and, and the deaths are, it's incredible out there. Uh-huh. But I think one of the major things, and we saw this with COVID also, who are the doctors going to take direction from if something happens to you? If they just found you and you're unconscious or medical attention is needed, who's going to make those decisions? And let's say you do have a business or you have to continue some sort of business operation or whatnot and you can't sign checks. Who's going to be your power of attorney and, and do those financial things on your behalf? And I think that COVID woke some people up. I think that this hurricane, again, will wake more people up to at least getting something on paper and not just leaving it to chance. Thank you for the clarification. I know we have a lot more to clarify. I'm chomping at the bit here because I, in preparation for this podcast, as unpolished as we are, you know, I always like to say that I'm fairly organized or I'd like to think that I'm organized. My kids don't think I'm organized. They think I'm very messy, but they know that there's a difference between not being organized and like messy and dirty are are certainly not the same thing. I know where everything is. It's just, I have to kind of flush through the piles to get it, right? So in preparation for this podcast, I was like, oh, I have an estate plan. (laughs) I'm going to pull out my binder and I'm going to look through and kind of see if I have any questions and whatnot. Because in full disclosure, there's not a shot in hell that my stuff is up to date, which is another point I want to make that my now ex-husband, but when I was married, we had our kids and oh my God, we're important people now. We have things and stuff and people that we're responsible for. We better go to an attorney and get our estate in order and whatnot. So I have a binder. So now I'm like digging around. I've only moved 17 times (laughs) and I'm like, where's the binder? Oh shit. (laughs) So I was even going to go so far to pull out even my divorce paperwork and whatnot, because I just thought, again, part and parcel with what we're talking, all these things go together. I'm not up to date. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of pull it out and see how not up to date I am. And then, you know, off air, Mark, you and I, we can sit down, shoot the shit and you could tell me how messed up I am. But (laughs) that being said, I don't know where it is. And I'm not panicked. We didn't have a flood here. It's somewhere. I know it. I just couldn't put my fingers on it. And it begs the question in your work, forget the people that don't have it set up that now become your clients and you're going to help them get their affairs in order. But how many people now come to you because they've had a life event happen? They're now getting divorced. They're thinking about getting divorced. They're moving. Their kids are now of age, someone, God forbid, is sick and they don't know where their stuff is. I'm sure you have a copy of everything, but now they come to you in utter panic. My guess, and I'm getting to the question here, is that people are not coming to you because everything is copacetic and today it's sunny out and you know what? Why don't we call an estate planner and get our attorney together and, and we'll work on things that aren't important, right? They're coming because a crisis has happened or is about to happen and now all hell breaks loose. Am I wrong on that or am I hitting the nail sort of on the head? You're hitting the nail sort of on the head. So I get this week alone, I had two calls in the short week that we had, right? Between Russia, Shana, and then the hurricane. I had two calls, people moving down from states up north wanting to revise their estate plan to make it Florida compliant etc. So we definitely, to answer that question very directly, you're right. Most of the time there is a life event in terms of if someone has an estate plan already, the reason why they're coming back to an estate planning attorney was there was a life event. The alternative is if somebody, and I, I find this actually kind of funny because I think the people that really value an estate attorney are people that have been through the process of losing a loved one and they've been through that process before. So they see the value in, in cleaning things up and doing that. So you do have that as well. But I will say in terms of where do people put their stuff, there's two types of ways, things that estate planners do with original documents. Either you give it back to the client, they take it, they put it in their safe, in their safe deposit box, their home safe and whatever. And when they do that, I always say, make sure that somebody has a code to your safe. That's like the worst thing. You have a safe deposit box, but your kids aren't even on it. So then it defeats the purpose. And two, some attorneys do keep their own, what they call a will vault. They'll keep the original will. They'll give everything back to the client. And so sometimes you do get clients that say, you know, hey, so-and-so, my mother died. I don't know what the original will is. And my first 
response is call up the attorney that prepared it. If you have a copy, you can call that attorney and they may either have it in their file or they'll have a receipt that they've given the original back to the client. Like it's typically what I do. Yeah. I just know over the course of the last several years with my own family, I'd say every three months, four months, no more than six months, my mom will hand me an envelope. Sometimes it's just like a regular legal envelope. Sometimes it's teeny tiny in her little ecru crane stationery. And it's just, you know, I don't open it, but it's just an updated um, passwords and telephone numbers and things of that nature for that just in case, just in case, because I don't want to have a scenario where, oh my God, I know all the ducks are in a row, but I don't know how to get to the ponds where the ducks are in a row. So that is just such a simple little tip to just write it down, give it to your loved ones, have them put it in their safe for that rainy day that you hope never comes. But at some point, you're going to have a hurricane. Yeah. I, and Rach, when you said that, I was like, oh, every time my mom goes on a trip, we have to go over to her house. She has to show me where all the documents are, where the, you know, this is. Where, but I appreciate that in case anything were ever to happen. One of the things, Mark, when you were speaking, I was thinking when Rachel asked the initial question, I was like, yeah, your job is no different than mine. The vast majority of people come when they're in absolute crisis. And then you have those few that like appreciate what therapy is and what, you know, the long-term effects it has. And they're the ones that show up because they've seen it work for other people or they've studied it or what have you. So I'm right there with you on that one. One more thing, just Rachel, to your point, a lot of clients do come when there's a life event, like a divorce in your situation. While I think divorce severs any sort of tie to your current estate plan by the by the operation of law, by statute, mm-hmm. anytime, I would say I get three to five calls a month just from divorce attorneys saying, hey, I have a client going through a divorce and they're going to need to update their documents to remove their ex-wife or whoever and completely revamp it. Love those calls. Well, let me ask you a question then on that. And I'm going to be very selfish because now I'm getting like free advice here. And um, even though, again, I just want to remind everyone, this isn't real therapy. And this is certainly, again, we want to protect Mark. We want to protect Dr. Boca. This is not real therapy. We're just kind of ditching the couch. We're grabbing the mics. We're breaking down the wreckage that is my estate plan that I can't find the binder. (laughs) And it's now 20 plus years old and I'm divorced and I don't know where it is. And I have no idea what my assets are, but I told the kids, don't argue. You get the red solo cups. They're in the pantry. (laughs) Okay. And the other one, you can have my dirty, sweaty gym clothes. I I mean, I don't really have that much. But in all seriousness, though, Mark, so I am divorced. We had this estate plan done and the binders to prove it. But I do know that when we got divorced, they were not updated. And for something that I thought was very specific, A, my head was all over the place and I just felt like I'll get to it when I, when I get to it. My kids were little, so we weren't even close to them being of legal age, which you keep track of the questions here because I don't know what happens when they're of legal age. and. We'll get to that in a second. But also because in my case, things were so amicable or as amicable as they could be for two people who are getting divorced that I felt as though, God forbid a million times, if something were to happen to me, my soon-to-be ex-husband is still going to be next in line to get my stuff because A, there wasn't a lot of stuff and B, I would want my kids to be taken care of with whatever that stuff was. So... I guess my question is, how far off are those documents now if even all these years later, my kids are still not of legal age and there isn't really anyone else that I would trust more than him anyway to be in charge? Now, medically speaking, that might have to change (laughs) because he may be like, you know what? (laughs) Pull the plug. She's the biggest pain in the ass. I've been waiting for this to happen. God damn it. You know, again, I'm joking. But so... There was a few questions in there. There were some comments. There were some statements. I mean, besides the red solo cups, what happens if I haven't updated anything? Well, the good part is you haven't died yet. So you can still meet with me and and we can (laughs) have a, a very robust discussion about that. And that's kind of a loaded comment slash question because certain things by nature of the divorce and Florida statutes, if your husband, let's say, was listed as the personal representative, Florida is a very progressive state. We don't have, we're pronoun neutral, personal yeah. representative. There's no him and her. Okay. 
unless you did something after the divorce to name him as your personal representative, then that would sever and the backup would basically become the personal representative. And um, if you don't have a backup? And if you don't have a backup, then certainly the court or the majority of the interest of the beneficiaries would be able to appoint a backup of someone who is able to serve and there's certain qualifications for that. Okay. I don't want to get too technical, but mm-hmm. let's just say this. When you have minor kids and a minor in Florida is under 18, mm-hmm. okay, there's certain planning using subtrusts for their benefit that typically are standard in most estate documents. And, and whether you call it a trust for children, whether you call it to my children subject to a postponement of possession, meaning postponing their ability to receive the assets till 25, mm-hmm. everyone drafts differently. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine you cannot give a minor, meaning someone under 18, financial assets or any assets outright because they're a minor. If you right. do that, then a guardianship for the property would have to be be done for anything over $15,000. So again, and especially if you own a house, I don't know, everyone's situation is different. The point being, there's probably enough bells and whistles in your current estate plan to protect against certain contingencies that may happen as a backup, which is why we always say, I want to go at least two, three people deep in all of your different Mm -hmm. roles in an estate plan. I want at least one to two people as your personal representative or more right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so on and so forth for all of the documents, because things do happen. People are not quick to do to update their estate plans. Or sometimes I have a situation right now where people are getting divorced. It's also very amicable as far as divorces can be. But you can have your former spouse manage the assets for the benefit of your children, Mm -hmm. but yet they are not receiving those assets directly. So that God forbid, and I'll give you the the pitfalls, right? Lots of times, like a poor person's estate plan is, oh, I put my ex-husband or my uncle or my sister or my brother as the beneficiary of my assets, and they're going to take care of my kids. Well, when you do that, you've really screwed up potentially their estate plans because depending on their taxable level, they're making Mm -hmm. gifts now to their nieces, nephews, or friends, kids, and there's issues with that, or there could be issues with that. Also, if they're married and now it's part of their estate, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, What if the account, they die with the account in their name, now it goes to their side or their families Mm -hmm. or whatnot. So there's a lot of people that do these things just to protect for the now without ever revisiting it. And it does become an issue because I get those calls. I always say, I'm also a garbage man. So if if you haven't done your planning on the front end, I do probate. That's how I eat. And the people listening can't see me, but I like to eat. Obviously, I have a little bit of a, as my doctor would say, I'm obese, but I'm not really obese, Mm -hmm. but I'm obese medically, right? You're unpolishedly obese. I'm unpolishedly obese. But in, in all sincerity, I do play the role of a garbage man. I clean up people's messes when they don't plan and we have to go through probate. What I would say, Mark, to all of that is I always warn people that you never know what's going to happen after somebody dies. And you think that this person is part of your life or that they are always looking out for your best interests or what have you. And that doesn't necessarily happen that way. And money is a root of a lot of evil and people get very caught up in that and it gets to be very ugly and very close families get destroyed through all of this. And so I would want all of our listeners and based on what you're saying also, everybody has a scenario, but keep those documents updated and be aware that it's not, as you've said, Mark, it's not a today. It's upon your death. And when you're dead, there's nothing you can do. And you could you know, raise your hands and say, oh, well, you know what? It's their problem. But you don't want that responsibility to fall on your children or other people in your life because it can get very, very messy and they don't know what your wishes would be. And not just that, I agree with you a thousand percent. I have situations where parents want to disinherit children or give less to one child for over another. And they're like, oh no, but everybody gets along and all this other stuff. And I always say they get along now. You can Mm -hmm. even tell them to your blue in the face. You know, Johnny works in my in, in the dad's company. He's getting the business, but the business is worth a million dollars. What are you leaving to Ava? My daughter's name is Ava, so that's why I say Ava. But why don't you leave it to Ava? What is Ava going to get? Now, if you go to an estate attorney, we can do planning for that. We can say, okay, well, if you have life insurance worth a million dollars and you have a business worth a million dollars, you say business goes to Asher. And then we say a specific device to Ava 
of whatever the value at the time of my death is of ABC company, that amount will go to Ava as a specific device of cash before anything else gets distributed 50-50 among them, for example. This is probably like just such like a mundane comment, but I'm, I'm going to make it anyway. You think, oh, if everyone, there's a lot of money and, and all that, like, okay, great. There's enough to feed everyone. And I have found, whether it's in real life or in movies or in books or whatever, that again, as Dr. Boca said, you know, money can be the root of all evils. The more money you have, the more cause for arguing and discord there is. I know certain scenarios where there's a lot of money to be had and people think like, oh, great, you know, I'm going to inherit this or I'm going to inherit that. They're already spending it before the person's even one foot in the grave. But guess what? Ha ha ha. That person is now literally controlling it from the ground. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Mark, how many people are, are that ignorant to just assume certain things. We know the big cliche, you know, what assuming is you're making sure. an ass out of you and everybody else. But why do people not just sit down and have a conversation? Am I just answering the question? It's because it's, it's testy. You're unsure. You don't want to say, hey, you know, when you kick the bucket, what do I get? My grandmother, before she passed away, I remember she had asked me to come over to her house before I even got there. She said, Rachel, I, I want you to come over. I want you to pick out certain things. And it was such an awkward kind of dark kind of... I was like, Grandma, what do you mean? Like, are you... This is gross. Like, I don't know. But you know, Rachel, you dear, you have to come over and I, I want you to earmark what it is you want. Well, so I did. And I was like, well, I mean, I kind of like that rug and, you know, I like that lamp. It, as silly as it sounds, it's just awkward, I suppose. But does it have to be done to make things smoother? Excellent question. It all depends typical lawyer answer. It all depends on the family. So for example, my parents were always granted my father's an estate attorney, but my father is always very upfront. This is what I have. If something happens to me, this is my life insurance agent, my attorney, my CPA. We actually use the same CPA, so it's not a big deal, but this is who to call. They have all the numbers, they have all the figures and everything's copacetic. I would say you have to know your children. I think people get very hesitant. I have people that are my clients that still don't want to tell me what they have really because they just don't want to. So I CYA, I send them letters and I send them my emails. I'm planning based and in my retainer agreement, it says I am basing my advice on the information you have given me. If you did not tell me about a $10 million round that you have, I can't be held responsible when you die and your beneficiaries come to me saying, why wasn't this in the trust? And now it has to go through probate. And by the way, I just want to segue one little thing, Rachel and, and Dr. Boca, because I get this comment pretty frequently. And I think that the listeners would have benefit from this. Mom dies and the daughter comes to me and says, my mom died. She had a will. There's no need for probate. That is not a correct statement. What dictates what has to go through probate is not whether you have a will or not. A will dictates who gets what in a probate situation. To avoid probate, you have to either have assets that are either jointly owned with rights of survivorship with another mm -hmm. person, not just signature authority on, the, on a bank account that mom may have given you signature authority, but actual joint ownership or owned husband and wife. Mm -hmm. Two, have a beneficiary listed, beneficiary designated, meaning life insurance, retirement accounts, financial accounts, things like that. You mm -hmm. can put a beneficiary on there or owned or designated in some sort of trust vehicle. Okay, trusts avoid probate. Anything else that you die with at the time of your death has to go through a court process to get from the dead person's name to their beneficiaries, whoever they may be. And that process is called probate, where the will dictates who gets what and who kind of manages those affairs in terms of doing that. But that's a huge misconception I think people have is, oh, I did an estate plan, but yet I still have to go through probate. What happened? So I just wanted to clarify that. And no, that was very helpful because I actually did not know that process. And that does explain why some things have wound up in probate and other things haven't. So thank you, Mark, for talking about that. You did touch on one thing. And I know me personally and professionally, I can't ever keep these two things straight. And so if you can just clarify, what are the benefits and the disadvantages of doing a revocable trust and a revocable trust? And I know that there's tax implications and things like that, but who should use what? is basically, I guess, sure. and I know it's going to be, it depends because you're an attorney and it's going to be, it depends. But if you can go a little bit beyond the, it depends, I'd appreciate that. 
Absolutely. So I, I, I have, I don't wear Depends anymore. Or uh. yes, I should say, I don't wear Depends. But but I'm bump. But I'm bump. Irrevocable trust. The easiest way to explain the difference between a revocable and irrevocable is literally in the word, right? So mm-hmm. it, your revocable trust is your alter ego. It's as if it's you. It uses your social security number. It's a complete pass-through for tax and liability purposes. The sole purpose of a revocable trust, revocable living trust, it's a living, breathing thing, right? Basically, is to avoid probate on assets that are either put into the trust or during your lifetime or designated into the trust at your death, period, hard stop. It doesn't, that is the most common use for a revocable trust. It's revocable. It's amendable. You can change it. You can get rid of it, whatever you want. Okay. Got it. Irrevocable trusts typically have their own tax ID number, their own EIN. They are a separate entity from the person. The reason why people do irrevocable is because they want to get assets out of their estate in a taxable situation. It's really there for either a tax play currently or in the future. Or it's used to put things in there so things can't be changed. I'll give you an example of that. Let's say you want to give something to kids from a prior marriage and you don't want your current wife and you have a prenup so you can do whatever you want with your assets and you want to put assets into that trust to kind of keep it out of your estate. Make sure that those assets are strictly going to for that purpose. By the way, on the irrevocable trust level, two things. One, there's many different types and many ways to be able to draft it. So that's more of a one-on-one conversation. There's life insurance trusts. There's something called the SLAT, a spousal lifetime access trust. There's charitable trusts. There's all these different types of trusts. The concept is the same. You're making a gift currently into that trust of whatever asset it is to get it out of your estate for either tax purposes, liability purposes, or whatnot. And the caveat to the irrevocability is that even though it's not irrevocable and unamendable typically, there are ways and certain provisions we can put in it to be able to make certain changes to the trust in the future should we want using something called a trust protector, which is separate from the trustee to make certain changes. Um, There's judicial modification. There's agreements among the parties to, to bust the trust that's irrevocable. And one last thing, keep in mind that revocable trust that we first spoke about at death or incapacity becomes irrevocable. Mm-hmm. Meaning once you become incapacitated and people may say I'm incapacitated now, once you become incapacitated or you die, that trust becomes irrevocable and unamendable at that point. Got it. Thank you. I appreciate that clarification because that's one that always people ask me and I'm like, I have no idea. And I think too, there's tax implications that are different from one trust to another. Yes, Mark? Absolutely. So with that being said, though, I will say, even from the, the knowledge I have from years ago, when you start talking about this, for someone like me, my blood pressure goes up a little bit because mm-hmm. you start getting nervous. Like, oh my God, do I have it right? Is it in order? I thought I was organized. Maybe I'm not that organized. I don't even know where the papers are. That The attorney I used was 20 some odd years ago. And your wheels start going and you start getting nervous. And then it's like, our demographic of the people that listen, I'd say are, you'd like to hope that they're not in near death age from a chronological number per se, but you do start to worry that we spend all this time concerned about our parents or people who truly are elderly. Do they have their ducks in a row? But then it's like, wait a second, am I as organized as I should be? Or holy shit, no, I'm not. And I think that's why I'm like (laughs) sweating right now. (laughs) And it's interesting, Rach, that you say that because in a million years, I wouldn't be thinking about any of this stuff, except you had mentioned before about life experiences, right? And and tragedies and, and things like that. And, you know, my family had gone through a sudden death many, many years ago. So that's when all of this even became a reality. And one of the things that I find, again, that has an emotional piece to it that kind of ties in here somewhere is people avoid doing the financial planning, the estate planning, even the where is going to be my future home in the ground and figuring out all of that, even though that they could get, you know, if you do it before you die, you get a real discount. But if you would, the day you die, if you do it, you're totally screwed, right? So nobody wants to do that because it's almost like you're giving yourself a Kanahara. For those of you that don't know what a Kanahara is, it's like if you're doing like a bad omen, evil is eye. Fall, right? The evil eyes, an omen is going to fall on you. So if you put it out there, like poo poo, you can't say it and you have to whisper it, right? And so 
I think a lot of people avoid doing it because of that. But what happens, we all know, is when we avoid things, it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then like the real sweating starts because we don't have it in order. That's why I think people just try not to do it. And so we try to avoid those conversations. And then things happen at certain times. And we had a loss recently last week of one of my husband's best friends. And it was sudden. And, you know, it made us have the conversation again and kind of talk about some of the things that we have talked about, what we haven't talked about them in a really, really long time. One of the things that came out of it, and this is how unpolished I am, and Mark, don't laugh at me. Um, I am a professional on many levels, but when it comes to this stuff, this is not my skill set, I guess. But I had signed a living will. I must have been 14 years old. I was in Hebrew school. They like, at our synagogue, they had us sign something. And I didn't think you could sign something that young, but you could if your parents sign the, the permission slip. I guess so. I don't know. So I always say, yeah, I have a living will somewhere. I don't even think it exists. So like, I don't even think that, you know, if the synagogue is even around anymore. And so obviously I have, I have signed since signed another one. But the question I always used to have is like, so if something were to happen to me and I went to the hospital, right? Who the fuck knows that that living will exists somewhere? And how are they going to find it? And how are they going to donate my organs and et cetera, et cetera, when they have no idea? Now, I know now many years later, you're an organ donor on your license for that reason. But it's like in those moments of suddenness, nobody knows what the hell is going on. And people are rushing in and out of hospital rooms asking you questions and you're sitting there going, I have no idea. I have no idea. So this goes back, Rach, to what you were saying is like, let's have these conversations. Yes, they're hard conversations to have, but they are important conversations to have, not only for the person who might be dying, but it's also an important because they want to know that they're going to go to their eternal rest in, in you know, in peace because the last thing they need is chaos, but also for the people that are still living. And as a person who lived through that, kind of having the answers to some of those things would have been, you know, I knew some of it, but I didn't know all of it would have been more helpful because the last thing you want to do is feel surprised or get angry or feel, you know, disappointed or confused, whatever feelings that you have at a time when you're grieving. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there as well and admit my unpolishedness. Sure. No, and, and I appreciate you being so vulnerable, Doc, and, uh, and Rachel, but no problem. Here's what I would say. I always take the approach of, I try to make the uncomfortable comfortable. And my caution to everybody is don't get analysis paralysis, which I, mm-hmm. I know is very difficult to do. but I always found that when people finally speak to an attorney that you jive with, and again, I always say I have friends and colleagues, not competition, because I'm friends with most of the people in my industry here in Boca. And if I'm not a good fit for someone, someone else might be better. And that's okay. The point is, whoever you feel comfortable with talking about these things and talking them through, similar to being a therapist, right? Finding the person who guides you through those things is super important. And once you do find that person, then the hope is that you're able to talk about those uncomfortable things and make it more comfortable. You guys out there to the listeners, I wonder how many of have had those uncomfortable conversations, even with your spouse, like early on. And it could be in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. We're not serious all the time that like, oh God, if something happens to us, like now we have like these two little kids or your siblings taking care of the kids if we die, or no, I want my brother and sister-in-law to take... And like the back and forth and the arguments, sometimes I'm, I'm even thinking, Dr. Boca, we talked several going podcasts there. about, about like, lottery. You know, if you win the lottery, right? Like, <laughs> what do you go- mean? We're not giving them that much. And well, yes, we are. And it was my ticket, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder in this unpolished conversation of death and and preparing for down the road if you're not here anymore. I know in my life, I had had those conversations with my now ex-husband at the time of like, is it going to be your brother and sister-in-law or is it going to be my brother and sister-in-law? And it's like, well, it has to be my brother and sister-in-law because they know the kids better now. And I'm like, but well, it can't be because they're in a different time zone or well, they would maybe do things differently. And then you literally get into like these spouts over it. And it's like, you know what? shut the fuck up. We're not even going to be here anyway. And however the kids are raised, they're going to be raised with love, but you do need to put it in writing. And I wonder how many then of those scenarios do you even go and you tell the sister and brother-in-law or the brother and sister-in-law, like, hey, by the way, like, would you, would you, like, if something happens to me, would you take on that responsibility? And Mark, I wonder in your case, like, has anyone been like, not really? <laughs> like, who's next in line? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that job. 
<laughs> so it I happens. I actually get an interesting. I get interesting comments like, you know, my bro. You know, I don't want to say my brother-in-law, but one's brother-in-law might be a bachelor. My oh, actually, my brother-in-law is a bachelor. So my brother-in-law, if I gave him my two kids, you know. I, He's a great brother-in-law. He's a great uncle, but well, I don't know if he would be the best suited person for that. Right. And look, my sister's more observant than me religiously. and I may not want that for my kids. Mm-hmm. So what I always tell clients is this, better you guys have the conversations now rather than you're both gone. And then everyone's family is like fighting each other and it just hurts the kids. Yep. And I always, I always caution people. I say, and because sometimes you get, you know, someone who's, let's say the, the, the wife picks one set after the, the natural parent, the fought, the parent who's the natural guardian. And the, the, the wife has one, the, the, her best friend and the husband has his best friend. And then you get a situation like that movie with Josh Dunnell and <laughs> Catherine Heigl, where right. they were both forced. It was a rom-com and that's great, right. But truthfully, that's kind of what would happen. So like, if you don't want that to happen, better you argue or, or hash it through now later and that, I, like wait sorry doc, i just to jump in because when you were talking about the movies like all i could think about is like in real life like does anyone say like i've been meeting today for like the reading of the will like does that even happen anymore <laughs> or does that only happen in rom-coms when people that, are sort of unsure of what's going to happen and all of a sudden like they feel like they're getting punked that now they have like a three-year-old they have to take care of and they don't even know who the kid is so it's interesting. And again, I, I go back to, it all depends on the family situation. I think that I have clients that are very open from the get-go. They want their kids to have copies of everything or their parents to have copies of everything. And the guardians, they've cleared it with everybody. And then I have people kind of like my parents who are like, listen, everything's been taken care of. Something happens to us. We get into a car accident, God forbid, Lauren and I, my wife and I, then you know what? This is who you call. Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Then you call, <laughs> this is the attorney who prepared the stuff, give him a call or send him an email and then go from there. And I think that that is more typical. People don't want to necessarily get in the weeds, especially if it change, if you make changes later on mm-hmm. or stuff like that. I have, and I've had that where people have removed certain guardians because they're no longer friends. They'll have a friend that they're no longer friends with or a mm-hmm. family member that's passed away. And so they've cha- made changes. The bottom line is, the best thing you can do is at least talk to somebody. And then once you've done the estate plan or whatever planning you've done, tell the people that you don't have to tell them the details. Just tell them if something happens to me, this is who you contact. And I think that's amazing advice, Mark. And that's kind of how we have it set up also. Before we wrap up, because I know we're getting a little bit long here, I do have one clarification just to me. One of the fights, I mean, Rachel, it's like you're like sitting in my house sometimes. <laughs> I swear we have these. How do days. you know I'm not? You might be, right? The paranoia is kicking in here. But, you know, my husband and I have had these conversations of who would take the kids. And at different points in our lives, I think we've agreed on different people or, or what have you. But one of the things that I used to say is, well, I don't know if that person would you know, be able to give our children the things that we would want them to have. And my husband kept saying, but Lori, the money follows the kids, like the money follows the kids. So if there's money now that goes to the kids and it doesn't go to the family necessarily that's raising them, it would be in trust for them so that they might be the person who makes the decisions about it. But that money goes with the kids. That is a true statement, correct? That is a very true statement. And so your husband is hundred percent correct. I would say 90% of the time. Okay, that okay. is a correct statement. Uh, as a general, in general, yes. One thing before I know we have to wrap up, but one thing I do want to mention, I would be remiss because, like I said, I have twins that are seven, Asher and Ava. Ava has special needs. And I want to make sure the audience knows that special needs as a planning in general is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. When you have a child with disabilities, and, and you know, Dr. Boca, as you know, I sit on the, I co chair the special needs department at the Levi's JCC. <laughs> And so um, I thought I, I thought it was, I thought it was appropriate considering we live in Boca. I mean, it's the sure. Levi. I mean, Levi's, yeah. Jordache, whatever. Well, but that's when you and us. I know this is such an aside <laughs> note, but like the denim yeah. and jewels or whatever the it's jeans called. Jeans, jeans, jewels. Jeans. I was just like, right, because we go to the Levi's <laughs> JCC. Just right. it all works Absolutely. out perfectly. But I do want to say, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, when you have a special needs child, you don't want to leave them but money outright because that could blow their government benefits. So it's really important. 
even if you had wills done early on in the marriage or your kids were young, they didn't get diagnosed with anything. There's been any change, not just in a death, divorce, or, or a new child, but even within that child's life where they're now, they had a diagnosis of autism and they're on government benefits, you really need to make sure that the, that the estate planning documents you have have default provisions at the very least to make provisions for if a beneficiary has disabilities to make sure it goes either into a special needs trust for their benefit or that one can be created at their death to make sure that they don't get blown off any government benefits if somebody dies. That is amazing, Mark, for information because I don't think the average person knows that. And I certainly didn't know that. So to our listeners, if any of you guys are trying to do estate planning with somebody who has special needs or needs certain provisions, Mark is an excellent resource to tap because he does have firsthand experience with it. And it is a subtype of work that he does because of his own situation. So thank you, Mark, for that. So Rachel, you're always the rapper-opper. So anything else that you have to ask? Yeah. Where the hell is my binder? <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, Mark, if any of our listeners actually now are looking for their binders and they want to review it and maybe they want to run some legal questions by you, how do they find you? Do you have a website? Are you on social media? Can you share that? Because we, we'd love to send some business your way, per se, and continue the conversation potentially off air. No, absolutely. And I appreciate that. I am on social media. I have Twitter, I have Instagram, and I have Facebook. It's all on my personal, Mark Gottlieb. Mark with a K, Gottlieb with one T. Couldn't afford two, but <laughs> yeah, because you put yourself I, in you debt. Better estate planning for that. <laughs> well, I know. Well, it's the debt plan or, or lack thereof, <laughs> you know. But the best way to reach me is either by phone. My phone number at the office is five six one two five zero seven five two six. Oddly enough, I actually bought the number, and the last four digits is Plan P L A N. Oh, that's so cool. That's kind of catchy, right? Yeah. Um, and really, the best way is by email. It's uh, my name, Mark, M-A-R-K, at Gottlieb Law, one word, G-O-T-L-I-E-B-L-A-W.com. And of course, I have the website, GottliebLaw.com. So anyway, those methods you can reach me at. Certainly, if, if there are any friends of the two of you, you can certainly give them my contact information. I'm happy to help, even if there's nothing directly that I can do. Or if, like we said initially, are you the right attorney for me? If I'm not, I'd love pointing people in the right direction. I love it. Thank you, Mark. I'm sure there's many of us that could use some assistance, starting with me. So I will shout out once I, <laughs> once I find my documents, we'll sit or not. They're around somewhere. I could even ask my ex-husband. Maybe he has a copy, but I'm going to say he probably doesn't because I'm the one that was in charge of that. <laughs> it might be with your wedding dress somewhere, Rach, right? Well, and no. Well, listen, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but the closet that I looked in to find the documents is the same closet that the wedding dress is in. So I did take a look at the wedding dress oh. just today, actually. So I'm getting closer. I'm warmer. Okay. I'm warmer. I'm not 100% where Waldo is, but I know the vicinity where Waldo is. The good part is if you do new documents, typically new documents supersede the old ones. So even if you couldn't find yours, if you do a new will, it typically says in that first paragraph, I revoke any prior wills that I may have done. So you're good with that. These are conversations that seem uncomfortable, but yet they're important to have married, divorced, healthy, unhealthy, old, young, Florida or not. It's important and it's unpolished, but it definitely will set us up for a smooth path down the road when things go awry. So with that being said, Mark, on behalf of Dr. Book and myself, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. It's been My very pleasure. informative and I appreciate also the light humor as well because sometimes with uncomfortable topics, we have to have a little levity and we have to laugh a little bit about it, even if it is planning for our death. <laughs> right, Dr. B? <laughs> but listen, if we're going to plan for our death, I want to make sure it's exactly how I want it to go. It's staged perfectly, right? Oh, so of course. I mean, and hello, well, said the girl who needs to relinquish control. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's like in, in, in Coming to America too, if you saw it, they, you know, he had this whole grand plan for this, this whole presentation, James Earl Jones, before he died. And then he died in the middle of the whole shebang. And, yep. and you know, but that's what he wanted. He planned yep. it. I want to be like the queen. I want everything taken care of 10 years in advance and it to be perfect and everybody to know about it. So you got to get these forms and documents in order. So we have to have those I difficult think so conversations. Too. And you know what? I also think too that like, don't we have a responsibility, even if it's the last thing we do, no, literally, that our kids are like, all right, she kind 
kind of crossed her T's and dotted her eyes. Like, you're going to dump it on them when you pass away that like everything is just a mess and nothing's in order. And like, wouldn't that completely negate all the neurotic neuroses that we've had our whole lives? That like, you had one final thing to do and you completely fuck that up. (laughs) I, I know we have to end, but I just have to end on this one note. My mother's mother, when she passed away, my grandmother had every T crossed and I dotted, except she figured out how to have her get, you know, carted to the cemetery and all of that stuff, but neglected to make sure that anybody else was taken care of and had a ride to the cemetery. And my mother was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like of all the things you screwed up, you got there fine, but we were the ones who had to figure it out. So we just want to make sure that everything is dotted, crossed, and we want to do this for our families. We want to do this for our friends, our partners, whomever so that we can die in peace and they can go on celebrating our lives and not hating us in the process. So Mark, absolutely, a true pleasure. Thank you as a personal friend and as a professional colleague. It has been such a pleasure having you on Unpolished Therapy today. Thank you, ladies. It's been an honor and a privilege. And um, if I can help in any way, just let me know. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate it. To the listeners out there, whether you have a big, huge, fancy estate or whether you have just a tiny little unpolished shtetl like I do, we are all entitled to proper planning. So with that being said, if you have any questions, comments, concerns for Dr. Boca or myself, you can always find us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at unpolishedtherapy. And of course, on Twitter at untherapy. We will not be putting... I think our Twitter handle on our estate planning, Dr. Boga, because (laughs) no no one ever goes there. But uh, with that being said, from our corner here of Audacity and Advice to you, we hope you guys have a wonderful week. Get your estate planning in order. And we will see you next time where we have ditched the couch, grab the mics, and we break down all the wreckage on Unpolished Therapy. Thanks for hanging out today, guys. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone. Like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.